Welcome to Bible Idiots, the teaching platform of FreshRoadMedia.com. And today we're going to go to the teaching of Pastor Chris Danielson. He's going to turn to Titus chapter 2, starting out with the very first verse. There's some hard truths Chris is going to be talking about, but as usual, he's always going to bring it back to the true hope and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have and carry with us. The title of this message, Road to Exile. Again, Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Here's Pastor Chris Danielson. The name of the message is Road to Exile. And we're going to talk about some cool stuff today. Del Tackett, Alex McFarland, Matt Walsh, and many others contributed to the message today. Um, this one was, uh, this one's hard, all right, because it's so much, and then to try to break it down into chunkable pieces, we're going to have to do some camera turns today. Do you guys know what I mean by that? And I used to do this in stand-up comedy, but... You can say whatever you want on the evening news, and then you can go say something totally different as long as you look at a different camera. You guys ever thought about that? All right, here you go. And the decapitated head was found near the park. Good news for egg lovers. We're going to have some of that today. It has been such a whirlwind of research, layout choices, and prayer to try to give you a consumable portion of the issues which we land on today. Because after doing some of the David message, some of the end time stuff, this is where we land today. And so we, we got to get through this together. I got to know in my heart that I shared these truths with you. Now, I don't know how to credit anybody in this because there's so much, but today it's just a lot of my research coming together in disjointed chunks so that I can give you a consumable portion of this message. Think of it like this. I have a buffet table in my office of 50 different foods, and you come in with one plate. I can't give you a little bit of everything, or your plate would be over full, so I have to pick and choose what you're going to hear today. Does that make sense? So I'm going to be trying today to find that balance. And in this case, between the troubling facts on the ground and the true hope found in Jesus. Now, when you come to a church, especially in these dark and troubled times, you need to hear the hope we have in Jesus Christ. This is why we gather. This is why we worship. This is why his name is the greatest of all names, and we celebrate that daily. And then once or twice a week, we assemble to recharge and spend time with the Lord and other sound believers. Yes? So this is why we don't have business meetings during the church service. This is why we keep announcements brief. This is why we want to try to stay out of the minutia of politics, of culture war stuff, even local family drama. As a general rule, we want to stay out of those things. But there are times when that rule needs to be set aside, as many in our world are claiming that silence from the pulpits is one reason we are in the mess we're in. Well, the silence from the pulpits comes from consumer Christians who are demanding compromise. And compromise is how we got here. Look, sometimes we do need to discuss issues, and today is one of those days. But up front, don't, if you take nothing from this message, don't miss this. I want you to understand that as much bad as I'm about to bring in the front half, it's going to be followed by the hope we have in Jesus. So stay with me. Please keep that in mind as we roll. Listen, I got one mandate, and only one, 
from the Lord, and it comes from Titus chapter 2. It's simple, elegant, and encompasses what should be at the top of anyone who is called to speak on behalf of the Lord, and that may include you, wherever God sends you in your world. It comes from Titus chapter 2, verse 1, and let's start with the ESV. I want to I show you this in three different translations today. Well, two translations and a paraphrase. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's the ESV. Let's go to the NIV. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Getting through to anybody? How about the message? Let's see how Eugene Peterson paraphrased it. He said, your job is to speak about the things that make solid doctrine. Is it me or is it hard to miss the point here? Today, we need to lay out the reality of how dark it has gotten and what shall the righteous do. Today, we are in a very different place than we were even two years ago. We have now descended into uncharted waters. Today, we are now dealing with people who I believe, and I'm going to make the case for you today, they are living with what is called in the Bible depraved minds. And when these folks lead, people suffer. Not sometimes, every time. And what does this always lead to? Not sometimes, always it leads to Christians living in exile in the church age. From the time of the Romans to now, that's what happens when cultures do what we're seeing happen in Australia, United States, Europe, all over. So then what could real exile look like for us in 2024, 2025? As this year is probably very likely our last year to be able to speak in real freedom of speech. They can't silence me right now by the laws of the land, but that's changing. See, the writing on the wall is unmistakably clear. To those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, we are living in the time of a demonic worldview. The spirit of Antichrist is growing stronger across the globe by the second, and it is set to overcome the saints. Did you know the Bible actually tells us that? So we shouldn't be surprised. And listen, so very soberly, I ask you, are we living in the last days? And if so, and should the Lord tarry for a while, how should the righteous live? Especially if we find ourselves in exile right in our hometowns. Revelation 13, 7 is my reference. Let's look at it together. Also it, by the way, the it is the beast antichrist, okay? Also it, the beast antichrist, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Do you know about the CBDC and the digital ID? This week, the next steps were published, and we are now facing the merging of our banking and our biological ID. And the mandate is that this needs to roll out globally and must be completed by 2030. They reemphasized that this week. All freedoms and privacy in this new world order will be determined by your willingness to toe the tyrannical line. So, within the next seven years, the majority of political and corporate elites are expected to get this completed. They're expecting this is going to go through. Can you think of any parallels to Bible prophecy? Anything about not being able to buy or sell during a predicted seven-year period? Hmm. On October 30th, 1991, there was a strange confluence of weather forces that brought about what came to be known as the perfect storm. 
a name that was coined by author Sebastian Younger. The word perfect in this case does not mean something good and wonderful, but it reflected the crazy fluke that numerous meteorological events were happening all at the same place. Storms joining up, pressure systems merging, and it all created a horrendous storm with 30-foot waves that came up out of nowhere. The Andrea Gale and its six crew were lost in that storm, and some speculated it went down near the Titanic. I found that interesting in my research this week. But are we not seeing that same kind of convergence today? Not of weather systems, but of social hazards, cultural risks, and worldview threats. They are aligning in our times, and they bring a much greater crisis upon us than 30-foot waves. Now, again, I have an incredible advantage over pretty much every one of you. I don't know anybody else in this room that spent 20 years of their career spending three hours of their workday investigating this stuff and then talking about it on the air for three hours every day. I, 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 I have to know that you guys cannot possibly see what I see, so I'm trying to share it with you. But let me tell you something. This is not overnight. It's been brewing. It's been coming. It's been planned. It's been executing, and we've been watching it, and now we're getting to the point where I feel like we could go past the point of no return. And if we do that, and it is time for the enemy to overcome the saints, how then should we live? That's what this is about. See, when God anointed David as king, the majority of Israel had not yet acknowledged him as king. The mighty men wanted to change that. And one tribe of those mighty men were the sons of Issachar. And they were commanded with these, or they were commended with these words. It's, it's in 1 Chronicles 12:32. Let's look at it. It says, The sons of Issachar understood the times in which they lived and knew what Israel should do. Now, the word understood is the Hebrew word bina, and it means more than just knowing the facts. It's a deep wisdom and discernment. It's an understanding of cause and effect. It's perceiving the true reality of what is going on around you. But the sons of Issachar not only understood the times in which they lived, but they knew what Israel should do. Their bina wasn't just for themselves. It translated into knowing what must be done. I'm praying for this kind of bina in the body of Christ today. We can no longer look at what is happening and lament that things are crazy and merely gripe and complain and ignore what's going on around us. So I think we must proceed with wisdom, grace, and truth. And this does look different to different Christians. Psalm 12:8 says this, when vileness is exalted among the sons of men, the wicked strut about on every side. Is that not what we're seeing right now? Alex McFarlane, he's the apologist. You may remember him from the film Bible Idiots. Listen to his story as he shared it in the AFA Journal. One of the jobs I worked during grad school was assistant manager of a Christian bookstore. Ministry opportunities seemed to walk through the store's door daily, and one unforgettable person I'd met, I'll call Russ. He would come into the bookstore many times per week, and he, he struggled with many things. Physical abuse that went back to childhood had taken a severe toll on this young man. For Russ, the peace of Christ in a suitable spiritual walk seemed very elusive. Russ one day informed us that he, from then on, was to be called Courtney, the real answer to his problems. Russ was convinced was to become a woman. That would solve it all. Shortly after, Russ told us that he was now living with people who truly loved him, but only as Courtney. 
He let us know that his new community had different understanding of scriptures than we had been sharing. His visits to the store became less common, and the last time we saw Russ, my wife and I begged him to seek counseling. Sometime later, newspaper headlines reported that Russ' death was an unsolved case. The tragic story surrounding his death will not be repeated here. Whether or not he was murdered, committed suicide, or died accidentally was never known. But in the gender-fluid climate of the 21st century, this is certain. Christians who tried to help Russ would today be accused of hate crimes for refusing to encourage the dark, destructive identity of Courtney. For trying to help this young man trust God's design for his life, we would be guilty of misgendering. We had taken Russ slash Courtney into our homes, our lives, and our hearts, but progressives today would say that the Christian context we offered amounted to acts of violence. And there are people going to court in America this week as they shared their testimony, and it's now being twisted into acts of violence. May the DOJ not be so twisted as to harm these folks, and I ask you to pray for them. Look for them in your news feeds. They're there. It's coming. It's coming. Offering the hope found in Jesus, Jesus will soon be labeled a hate crime. Already is in some states and major corporations. And Lefty and the Brood are pushing legislation right now that will forever change the free speech standards and those of us who follow Jesus will become second-class citizens if we are allowed to keep our citizenship at all. Or should I say, maybe we already have become second-class citizens. These potential laws are expected as the next steps by many on both sides of the aisle. Okay, so let's break it down with Scripture. There are two progressions in Scripture that appear to be growing at alarming rates in our culture and in our times. These are not onward-upward progressions. It's a downward spiral. One of those progressions comes primarily from Proverbs, where we are introduced to three kinds of people. The simple, the fool, and the scoffer. They are continually contrasted with the wise. We meet all three together in Proverbs 1.22. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffings and fools hate knowledge? It reminds me of the mantra in the 70s when I was growing up. I'm okay, you're okay. Everything that feels good, live and let live. And I remember being like a preteen in the neighborhood thinking how wise that was. Everybody should just be left alone to do whatever they want. It's cool, man. The simple, however, sometimes continue on to become the fool. It is here we see an open rejection of God. And it becomes where evil is good and good is evil. The fool says in his heart, in Psalm 14:1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their deeds are vile. Can't we all just get along? Isn't, isn't, isn't everybody just good people? See, the fool hates truth and the knowledge of God, rejecting it in favor of whatever he or she gathers from the world and the pleasure he or she can derive from it. They are fools, but they keep relatively to themselves. But in a fallen world, the fool can descend into the final stage, the scoffer. This is the militant fool. This is who I fight. He or she are arrogant and haughty. 
Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. They bring division, quarreling, and abuse. Proverbs 22.10 says this, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. They are a horror to the culture and to mankind. The scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Note the next verse carefully, for we have seen the consequences in our day. Proverbs 29.8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Sets the city aflame. See, when a culture progresses to scoffer level, it finds itself up against a militancy that does not sleep in its incessant drive to bring the culture down. Proverbs 14, or 4, 6 says this. Proverbs 4, 6 says, They cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. Sound like anything you see in this country? The second progression is found in Paul's letter to the Romans. It too is not upward but downward. Here we are told that God's wrath is being revealed to those who reject truth and do not glorify God. There are then three stages, each beginning with, therefore God gave them over. If you ever read this in your Bible and you see, therefore God gave them over, understand something serious has gone down here. The big one in Scripture that everybody points to is, remember, Pharaoh hardened his heart? Pharaoh hardened his heart? Pharaoh hardened his heart? And then what happened? God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and his cork was sunk. Same thing. God's give people over to a succeeding, descending path of lost lives, getting more lost. First to sexual Im- Im- impurity, then shameful lust, and finally a depraved mind. Get this. Don't, don't lose me here, Okay. The first is that God gives people over to sexual impurity. Now, sexual impurity, we're talking about in the male-female relationship. It isn't hard to think about what happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Darwin's on the rise. Dewey strips God on ethics from our schools. And Freud has got everybody focused on sex. Our culture took a major turn. World War I could have been a warning, but we ignored it and ran right into the roaring 20s. The Great Depression and World War II might have also been warnings, but we ignored them as well. Sexual impurity was on the loose in America and in her arts and media all the way through the 60s. Then it seemed we moved from simple-minded to the fool, and God gave us over to shameful lusts. Track with me on this now. Remember 1988, Gary Hart, set to become president, but he had to step aside when a relationship with Donna Rice was found out. Four years later, Bill Clinton was not only electable, even though his extramarital affairs were made public, but he was also actually elected twice. So what happened between 1988 and 1992? Somebody says, uh, you know... Chris, what do you, where do you think the big pivot point was in America? I can tell you what I think it is, and this is based on lots of hours of research. When Hillary and Bill Clinton went on 60 Minutes and Hillary said, I'm not Tammy Wynette, stand by your man, and did that little bit, America turned. Sin wasn't as sinful in America the next day. No longer was sexual impurity confined to the natural male-female sexuality, but we moved rapidly as a culture into unnatural sexual impurity, and the culture embraced it all the way to the Supreme Court. And now it appears that God has given many over to a depraved mind. 
What does depraved mind mean? Well, the Greek word for betrayed, but de- depraved, let me start again. The Greek word for depraved is a dokimon. Not Pokemon, a dokimon. One interpretation calls it a unique word that means not able to care for themselves. Others say it means unqualified. So what is an unqualified mind? What does it look like? If you sat next to somebody that had a depraved, unqualified mind, would they be twitching? Would they want to throw things? I mean, what, what does it look like? Del Tackett explains it in his article this way. And by the way, every Wednesday night for the next few weeks, you need to be here to see the engagement project. Because Dell did the research. He would hold these little webinars on Tuesday nights. I've been attending them for two and a half years. And now he's finally got the whole package together. And his teaching, in my opinion, is second to none right now in the, in the times we live in because the man gives such a wonderful, calm explanation to all of these things we're dealing with. But in his article, he said this, the key may be first to understanding what a qualified mind would be. God created us with a mind that was rational. It could recognize reality, comprehend logic, and reason with the Lord when he said, come, let us reason together. It was a mind that had what we call common sense. The unqualified mind, then, would be a mind that is no longer rational or entertained logical arguments and reason. This is very troubling. It would appear to think and say things that were irrational or lacking common sense. When Jesus encountered the Gerasene man who was possessed naked and acting crazy, Jesus healed him and he was found what? Clothed and in his right mind. It says that right in your scriptures. We see the same with Nebuchadnezzar out in the pasture eating grass like a cow after God judged him until he came to his senses. We now find ourselves in a culture where it is increasingly difficult to have rational discussions with people, general people in public. If you went with me to Israel, they'll tell you, I will talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere. I love when I'm traveling to just get into conversations with people, much sometimes to the chagrin of my wife. You just can't talk to folks anymore unless you want to dumb it down to the weather, gardens, or your football team. Have you ever tried to have a rational discussion with a stranger at an airport, say, or you know, somewhere, or even people you know? Have you tried having rational discussions and it can't go anywhere? Ever tried to have a discussion regarding abortion? I'm pro-life. Somebody who's anti-abortion, or as they say, pro-choice, ever tried to have that conversation? Or how about this one? Math being viewed as racist. Or allowing young children to select their own gender. What about training our military to despise the country they're supposed to fight for? What about forcing government contractors? This is the one that really chaps me hard. What about forcing government contractors into re-education programs, forcing them to sign letters of guilt and confession to hold their situation because their skin is white? That's happening in America and has been. Many people know that I shake, you know, many people that I know, what we'll all do is shake our heads at such things. We'll breathe, oh, the world's gone crazy. And we become frustrated because of the lack of common sense and no one seems to listen. Maybe they've been given over to a depraved mind. Can we just say it? I believe the free world has crossed over. 
the USA, Europe, and Australia have now crossed over. Majority of the population now functions with a depraved mind. And I believe this happened over the last three to five years, and it's been accelerating. This is based on my own research. San Francisco is now what can be called a lost city. 23 major retailers have bailed completely due to unrestrained shoplifting. 23. Best Buy. Macy's. Kohl's. All of them. 23. I tell you what, I wouldn't do business there. Having to stand and watch on, as people video on their phone inventory stolen right out the front door. Look up the videos, they're out there for you. People are walking out the front door with arms full of stuff, laughing and joking. Cops are standing there doing nothing. Nike, this week, just closed its factory store. Its factory store in Portland, Oregon, for the same reason. One report put the shoplifting at an estimated 60% plus of all inventory went out the front door like San Fran. Zero arrests, zero convictions. Los Angeles tent cities are just ignored. Although people are regularly beaten, raped, and murdered in these tent cities, nobody cares, least of all the authorities who have basically given up. Now, add to the madness is the fact that almost all of the crooked politicians who enacted these insane policies that... It, that created this meth, will be re-elected by the same folks who are actually hurting. That's a depraved mind, folks. It is everywhere, and now it probably can't be stopped. So if there's no great awakening, if there's no great revival, then guess what we become? We become the remnant church out of Romans chapter 11. And as we head to exile together in our own hometown, Understand that the remnant church can be joyful and it can be strong. The Academy Awards, the Oscars starting in 2024, films must meet specific diversity requirements in order to be eligible for Best Picture Award, which is Hollywood's most sought-after accolade. The new guidelines require uh, at least one actor from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group being in a significant role, or the story must center on women, LGBTQ people, a racial group, or disabled people. What will this do to storytelling? Well, unless we bud light the entire film industry, the entire world will be drowning in woke ideology for the rest of our natural lives. That's what this means. In the late 90s, while we were in the media industry, uh, the third, I can't remember his name right now, the third founder of Microsoft, Paul Allen, Bill Gates, and the third guy who was gay when he died of AIDS, he left $66 million for the specific pur purpose of making it rain in America, rainbow flag. And they put that $60 million to good use, didn't they? They told us flat out, you will get wet. You can hold that umbrella as much as you want above you, but we are going to soak you. And they did. What is the response to these things? How do we live in, as wise in the time in which we live, especially if we're headed to exile in our own hometowns? Well, first, we need to recognize that the way we, and I say we, the saved souls, have interfaced with the world must change. All of our apologetics are based upon logic, and they are based upon the assumption that we are dealing with logical and rational minds. I'm here to testify that assumption is no longer valid. We are trying, <clears throat> excuse me, 
we are trying to fit rational arguments into irrational minds, and we get frustrated when it bounces off without a glimmer of recognition. Or we straight up get the scoffer's rebuke right in our face. Because if we add this to the rise of the arrogant and haughty scoffer who stirs up strife and division and sets the city aflame, we find ourselves in difficult times. And at the core social powers, all the the core social powers that are going on are increasingly setting themselves up against a biblical worldview. Many of you soundly saved people have been watching it like I have, and it's accelerated over the last 10 years and the last three years. It's foot-to-the-floor hyperdrive. So what do we do? See, they're not just canceling those who disagree. No, no. We are now on the steps of moving into the planned punishment. Did you hear me? Planned punishment stage for those who won't bend the knee. It's not that I won't bend the knee. It's that I can't claim Jesus and bend the knee. So that means I won't. I don't know. What about you? So what do we do? I know of no other approach than the one I believe Jesus gave to us to do. It calls us to engage with wisdom, grace, and truth, and to do so in the context of building significant relationships with a few people and then solidifying that relationship in diligent and fervent prayer. That is my solution. That is our action steps to be considered. Let me hit hit you one more time. It calls us, the remnant church, the true believers, to engage with wisdom, grace, and truth. This does not mean that you let falsehood just pass you by. This does not call you to be the doormat of the world. You stand for truth. You stand with a solid spine that Jesus will give you. And we do so in the context of building significant relationships with a few people and solidifying that relationship in diligent and fervent prayer. When I say a few people, I'm thinking a couple hundred max. And out of that, down to maybe a tight 12. A lot of the great, solid evangelical Bible churches that that grow to uh, 1,200 people or, or more, they have what's called small groups or life groups. This is that concept. This is that concept, that biblical concept of linking arms together. A solid Bible, Christ exalting church and or fellowship is not an option, it's a must. It's a must. Where can you find those? I mean, if that's our action step, then that must be where we should look, right? I can testify to an honest, full-on, drag-out process with God to find that right place. A place we started looking for actively for more than five years now. Where we can stand firm longer, stand firm with real people who are not afraid and who are not full of fake compassion. Folks who actually have eyes to see and ears to hear. Where is a place like that? I can tell you where there is a place like that. It's a place like that in Abilene, Kansas. And it's called Zion Community Church. And my buddy Jay Johnson's the pastor there. He's, he, him, Jay, and I go back. We're, we're so tight. And again, Jay, Jay is a black man in an all-white church. He's their pastor. And this church is alive for Jesus. There are about 130 people. Their budget's $250,000 a year, and each year they're $100,000 over budget, so they have to put the money into missions. You want to see an alive church? Jay Johnson's church is alive. So when Jay Johnson said, my sister church needs a pastor, I jumped at it. Unfortunately, that sister church 
was not like Jay's church. They planted it 10 years ago, yeah, but it had gone off the rails. Internal fighting, gossiping, people just being mean to each other. And I asked God for a release from the call. And after two years of intense training, we got sent here. The same process. Where can I go, Lord? Where can I go where we can stand firm longer and stand firm with real people who are not afraid? There are men in this community and in this church that are not afraid. And I love hanging out with them. Who are not full of fake compassion. Folks who actually have eyes to see and ears to hear. And God sent me to this place called Harlan, Iowa. Sidebar. Maybe it's time we schedule a fresh encounter prayer meeting for our country. hmm? Every day the darkness grows thicker and some of us, you know, the hope of Jesus has to go deeper. So let's turn it now to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Hope is a powerful thing. G.K. Chesterton said, there is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great, no toxic so powerful as an expectation of something better tomorrow. Emily Dickinson in one of her poems said, hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. O.S. Martin said, there is no medicine like hope. Pliny the Elder wrote, hope is the dream of a waking man. Martin Luther said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Now listen to how the dictionary defines it. The dictionary defines hope to have a wish to get or do something or force something to happen or be true, especially something that seems possible or likely. Hope, from the world's viewpoint, is just what that definition describes. The world sees hope as a wish or a desire. Hope for the world is a longing for something that may or may not take place. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches us a vastly different definition of hope. Listen to the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. How about 1 Corinthians 13, 13? Let's hear Paul. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The world says that hope is merely a fond wish or desire, but the words used for hope in the Bible tell a completely different story. They teach us that hope is a, are you ready for this? A deep, settled confidence that God will keep his promises. It's a deep, settled confidence that God will keep his promises. Now, I know you have battles, but do you have hope? Are you resting in the sure confidence that God will do just as he has promised he would? That is the essence of hope, and hope is the possession we all need to be sure we own in large quantities. Now, I want to show you from the words of David, kind of ironic, right? Start studying something, it just shows up everywhere, doesn't it? Why you and I have the reason to hope in the Lord. And I want you to notice me where our hope comes from and what our hope will accomplish in our lives. So before we get into this little scripture reading that David wrote, I want to give you the one and only point from the message today. There's only one point, and here it is. Our confidence in the Lord provides hope. Our confidence in the Lord provides hope. Let's look at the first three verses of Psalm 27 together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. David begins this psalm of hope by declaring his personal faith in the Lord. David has a personal relationship with God. This is the basic foundation for hope. If you don't have that, much of this is going over your head. Some people have tried to add Jesus to their life and they've never surrendered their life and accepted his free gift of salvation and they wonder why none of this is adding up. Let me tell you, unless you're soundly saved, you're always going to be a candidate to go down that path that ends up in a depraved mind. Confidence in the person of the Lord. David tells us that God is his light, his salvation, his strength. There is tremendous blessing in these three titles attributed to God. As light, God delivers us, his people, from darkness. Uh, first, uh, where is it? Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13 says it. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. As light, God guides our steps. As salvation... God delivers his people from damnation. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Salvation, God secures our souls. That's my biggest hope. And out of that, everything flows. How about his strength? God delivers his people from defeat, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to our God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As strength, God guarantees our success. It takes the pressure off. It's, you know, maybe it's because I've been on stage since I was a child. I, I never get nervous. And this is one of the reasons why. I get up here and do the same thing pretty much every week. And God does stuff with it in some of your all's lives that's way beyond my skill set. Whenever my messages are successful, it's because God broke through and shared with you. And other times, it's just flat. doesn't go anywhere. Same message. I believe there's a reason for it. And when I say same message, I'm talking about preaching the same message six out of ten weeks in six different churches that are all 50 miles from each other in the Phoenix Valley and Tucson Valley because I used to do that all the time. Why write a new sermon? I got stuff to do. This one's pretty good. Uh, I remember last week I told you about holster messages. God's strength guarantees our success. That means if we do the best we can with what we've been handed and we trust him for the success, if somebody doesn't like it, take that up with God. These three characteristics of God serve to give us hope in the midst of battle. Because of who our God is, we need not fear the enemy that should rise against us. Satan is no match for the Almighty God. Have confidence in what the Lord is doing. David declares that in this present hope the Lord rests upon that which is the Lord has done for him in the past. David says that he's resting on everything that God has done in the past that's going to give him hope for the future. How easily we forget even miracles we've seen him do in our lives. God did not fail him then, and he will not fail his child today. 
Well, what about that Christian who lost everything and then was martyred for their faith? I don't know, but I do know this in God's economy. If that child, if that child was sold out to him, God's got something great planned. God's got something coming out the other side. And that's hard when you're the person. It's easy when it's your neighbor who's suffering. That same confidence can be ours today. It can be renewed today if you've lost it. The God we serve is unchangeable. He is the same God with the same power that he has always been, and he never will change. Because he has been faithful in the past, we can count on him being faithful now. Think of all the things he has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Why? Because it maintains your hope in the one that is deserving of our hope. Think of all the things he's done for you. Think of the enemies he's vanquished, the mountains he has moved, the victories he has won. Think on these things and remember that that God who performed those countless wonders in the past is still the same God today, and that should give his people hope. Look, only God can change the scoffer's heart. That's why we don't debate. We only proclaim. Make more sense now? Only God can heal the depraved mind. Only then will rational truth have a fertile soil in which to flourish. So I I, I charge all of you in the presence of God, speak now while you still can with freedom. And understand that those of us who know Jesus, now is the time to put away petty differences. Now is the time for unity. If not now, when? It's a whole nother message with probably twice as many scriptures as I've given to you today. But unity is the fuel that lights the power of God. Don't forget that. Amen. Band, come forward. And while they're coming forward, I want to pray a prayer blessing. And I want you to understand, if you've got something in your life, born-again believer, you can still come to Jesus today and get that right. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior, you don't have a personal relationship, me and some of the elders, we're here to help you. We're here to help you change that. It's what it's all about. Again, I've told you this before, and I'll tell you this one right now. The game is one, is one thing. There is a book. It's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written in that book, or if your name's not written in that book, that's the whole deal. And you can't, by your own efforts, put your name in that book. Only Jesus, through a free gift he's offering you, can you get your name in that book. And once your name's in that book, lights out, it's over. Your hope should never dim, and the light of Jesus Christ should shine from you. And you should be able to overcome in your circumstances. And I say that as a man whose circumstances beat him down this week. So again, again, in keeping with repentance, his mercies are renewed daily long arm of mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And we thank you that we can come together. And that in just a second, we can stand and sing praises and make your name great in our hearts and in our world. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us do that. We love you and thank you and praise you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at freshroadmedia.com. 
We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.